There it is. Okay, Aleph, Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his way. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. When I would not be put to shame, then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Tada. Tada. Sorry about that. I had to get rid of something. Okay. Um, all right. Let's see here. We have um, read that. Okay. I got uh, someone is asking for healing between a parent and a daughter, or parents, plural, and their daughter. All know Jesus, but there's some tension, and so she asked us to, uh, without giving any names, which I don't have, um, she just asked us to pray for this family that's having some difficulty. And um, then uh, I have not heard from my friend Mike. He's the guy that a week ago had a hiatal hernia, and he went in, then he got lung something, probably from being in the hospital, and so he uh, had to get some medicine. He took the medicine and it's completely, everything that could possibly go wrong has gone wrong and he emailed me, was in the uh, ER yesterday and I haven't heard back, so keep Mike in prayer. Uh, just one disaster to another for that poor guy. Um, and then um, we've got a couple visitors walked in from Indianapolis, Paul and Erica. And uh, so they're here. How long are you here for? Leaving Sunday. Well, they, uh, they uh, happened to see Sergio's video and uh, wanted to come in and meet them and so here they are it's wonderful to have you here and people come on their vacation and they go to Bible class that that is wonderful um, and then I got um, uh, from the folks in Pakistan um, I had uh, they sent me an email and uh, they want to do a third showing of the Jesus movie somebody already sent money for that. I, I didn't even have to announce it, and he had emailed and said, I wanna take care of the Jesus movie. So that's done. Um, uh, he also had a request for 13, uh, what do you call them? Audio Bibles. Audio Bibles on a uh, yes. podca podcast, okay? It comes with the thing, and so these people can listen in Urdu. It was, uh, I believe, $221, is that right? Okay, so um, somebody immediately paid for that, but they would like to give the option, if anybody wants to help with that, I would take that and give it to the person that paid. Um, the only reason why he did that immediately is because he wanted to make sure that they got the Bibles right away. They just received Christ in the past week or two, and so if anybody wants to help send a little money to uh, the person that paid for that, I'll hand it on to them. If not, that's fine. Um, uh, but there was another request and I told him I don't want to put this under the church because the church already every month sends out so many things and I don't ever want to make a commitment and uh, not be able to uphold it and so uh, two of our new believers I will not give their names but he's got them here who have been suffering from diabetic problems and they request uh, pray to God that will make control of their sugar level that is always increased and doctors say they would need to take insulin. They're very poor orphan, orphans and uh, their earnings are not good enough to buy insulin, which is $48 a month. 
uh, <coughs> excuse me, they are in need of prayers and support. We found they are very faithful and obedient to God. So if, <coughs> excuse me, if anybody wants to make a monthly commitment of $48 to help these people, I will send you their information, how you can get the money to them. Uh, like I said, though, I, I don't want to put that under the church itself because I'm, you know, I, I send out to missionaries each month. I send out to Isaac in Uganda and um, Silas in Kenya every month. And so to add that on and then to not be able to uh, cover that would not be a good thing. So if somebody wants to commit to taking care of these uh, two people's insulin for $48 a month, let me know. I will uh, uh, send you by email all of the information there. Okay, so we got that. And um, uh, uh, I just want to, before we go past that, I want to make sure everybody knows how much I appreciate all the help that people have given to show these Jesus movies and to take care of these people and, and all that they have been doing. I mean, from not even knowing Christ just several months ago to now <laughs> the third time uh, doing this and inviting people that could actually report them to the government. And, you know, they could be in trouble over there, but they're willing to do that because they have just... They've just gone head over heels for Jesus. So thank everybody that does this and that has been helping with each of these Jesus movies and the other costs that they've come up with over the past couple months. Um, let's see, we'll go ahead and read this and then we'll go into prayer. <clears throat> Today must be 30, it must be 27th? Yep. yep. Yeah, 27th, okay. Uh, let's see, 20th, 25, 26. Okay, this is, what do we got here? This professional baseball player spoke to larger crowds than he played for. Anybody know? Ty Cobb. Who? No, not Ty Cobb. Billy Sunday. Sunday. Uh, and he was born near Ames, Iowa in 1862. His father, a Union soldier, died before he saw his son. His Christian mother then married a man who deserted her. Unable to provide for all her children, she was forced to send Billy and a brother to an orphanage. After high school, Billy moved to Marshalltown, Iowa, where he played on the local state champion baseball team. His amazing speed attracted the attention of the manager of the Chicago White Stockings. And he signed it with Chicago in 1883. Yeah, it's the White Sox now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they used to practice here in Sarasota when I was a kid. That was their their uh, spring whatever training place. Uh, I think they moved down south of us, and now we have some team I wouldn't even know who. Anybody? I think it's called the Ravens, not the Ravens, uh, Baltimore Orioles. Ba Baltimore Orioles. We had Kansas City here for years, too. After the Chicago White Sox, it's Kansas City Royals. Royals. They were here, and then you say it's the who? Orioles. Orioles. Okay, see, I don't know sports, so. Um, okay, one Sunday afternoon in Chicago in 1886, Billy and some, <clears throat> Billy and some of his teammates went to a saloon and after drinking their fill, went outside and sat down on the curb. Across the street, a Christian band was singing and playing gospel songs that Billy remembered his mother singing years before in the log cabin. Overcome with nostalgia, Billy began to sob. One of the young men in the band walked over to him and said, we are going down to the Pacific Garden Mission. Won't you come down to the mission? Billy hesitated for a moment before jumping to his feet. He told his teammates on the curb, I'm through. I'm going to Jesus Christ. We've come to a parting of the ways. Sunday walked to the mission and fell down on his knees and into the arms of the Savior. Dreading his return to the ballpark on the next day, he was pleasantly surprised to find his teammates supportive of what he had done. Billy joined the Jefferson Park Presbyterian Church and regularly went to Bible studies at the YMCA. 
which I wouldn't send my children to a YMCA Not today. Now. You couldn't pay me to do that. In 1888, he married Helen Thompson, the sister of the White Stockings Bat Boy. In 1891, Sunday ended his baseball career. I said 19, it's 1891, not 1981. So he'd be like 150 years old by now. Uh, Sunday ended his baseball career to work full-time for the YMCA for a fraction of what he had earned as a baseball player. After two years, <clears throat> I don't know what's the matter with me today. After two years, he went to work <clears throat> as an advanced man for evangelist J. Wilbur Chapman. When Chapman suddenly stopped traveling as an evangelist in 1895, he invited Sunday to hold evangelistic services for him in Garner, Iowa. Billy did so using Chapman's sermon materials and was never without invitations to preach from that time on. The Presbyterian Church did not license Sunday until 1898 and he wasn't ordained until 1903, but he never let that stand in his way. Sunday started out holding evangelistic crusades in small Midwestern towns and gradually went to the larger cities of the Midwest and the East. His unorthodox preaching style, acrobatic antics, and flamboyant gestures attract, excuse me, attracted the press, making him a household name. The climax of Sunday services followed the sermon. When he invited members of the audience to walk the sawdust trail to the front, indicating their decision to commit their lives to Christ. His most successful crusade was in New York City, where 98,264 people hit the sawdust trail in 10 weeks. <clears throat> Much of Sunday's success was due to the organizational skills of his wife. Thank you. Helen, at the peak of his career as an evangelist, he had a full-time staff of 23, including his song leader, Homer Roadheaver. Ro there's no N in there, though. Is it Rodenheaver? Okay, well, he's saying there's an N in there, even though it doesn't say it here. Rodenheaver, he says. He preached, he preached to more than 100 million during his lifetime, and hundreds of thousands put their faith in the Lord Jesus through his ministry. Bill <clears throat> Billy Sunday preached his last sermon on October 27, 1935, and 44 came forward in the service. Ten days later, he went to be with the Lord. No one else had done more than he in the early days of the 20th century in America to keep the Christian faith vital and growing. How would you have reacted to Billy Sunday? Uh, theologian Gresham Machen shared this reaction. Much of it, I confess, left me cold. But in the last five or ten minutes of that sermon, I got a new realization of the power of the gospel. Have you ever had a negative reaction to preachers with a unique style? What should be our criteria for evaluating preaching. And 1 Corinthians 2, dear brothers and sisters, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message, for I decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. <sighs> Hang on a sec. Sorry about that. They must have had a podium built for him because he used to jump off of that. Is that right? Yeah, I wonder who was preaching. Mm. It's good to read about him. Well, I've heard the name many times, but I'd never heard any of his story, so that was nice to nice to read. Okay. Well, it makes me think of uh, someone with a beard. I don't know about that. Teach who has a very different style <laughs> as well. I don't know. I'll have to look up no, who you're talking about sometime. No, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, just share in your word, to share in your glory through your word. 
Thank you for this precious word that tells us about Jesus. And thank you that Jesus is the one that reveals you to us so that we can know you for all eternity. Always something new, something fresh being revealed through him for infinite number of days. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we lift up the people that we mentioned earlier. Also, uh, Mark and Becky in uh, Colorado are still having some health troubles after almost a full year, so we lift them up. And uh, Lord, we uh, certainly pray for these people in Pakistan. They have a zeal for you. They have a zeal for getting this word out, and we would ask that you would continue to bless them as they tell others about the gospel and uh, uh, have their own harvest over there, precious people needing Jesus. Lord, we ask that you bless this class, and if there's anything said that is incorrect, please alert us to that so that we would not have something inappropriate in our, our doctrine or in our direction as believers in Christ. Lord, thank you. We love you. We praise you. We give you glory, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, let's see here. We have got, um, we're in Colossians still, is that right? Yeah. Okay, Colossians chapter 2. All right. Verse number 12. I'll back it up to 9. Okay, 9 it is. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also <laughs> circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with cir a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, Mm. having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, we're getting up into some of my very favorite verses in all of scripture here. We've been quoting these in sermon after sermon recently, uh, especially with Joshua and the types and pictures that we've seen. We talked about that one right there, buried with him in baptism. Take you right back to Joshua chapter 4. The entire nation of Israel is still waiting to call on Jesus, and it's going to happen, and it's even told about in Joshua chapter 4. The entire nation is going to come to Christ, buried with him in baptism. And uh, the pictures there are so obvious and so clear that uh, it, it's almost beyond imagination. Joshua 1 through Joshua, we're in uh, Joshua 8 this week, the final verses from there. And uh, it's going to be a little different this week, obviously, because of the typology but I think that you'll see it's a very nice closing to the first uh, eight chapters of, of uh, Joshua, how, how the Lord has structured it. Um, but chapter four, especially of uh, Joshua, that verse there that we just read is exactly what is being pictured there for the nation of Israel, but also in a larger sense, the salvation of any individual because every single one of these steps is what happens to us as individuals is what will happen to Israel as a nation coming soon to a millennial reign near you. Um, for right now, I'll read the verse myself so that you have this version. Buried with him in baptism in which you were also, where you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The working of God. This is what uh, has happened in the person of Jesus. Now, just so Paul and Erica know, um, I uh, always, I've got a commentary I've typed on the Bible, on the New Testament, and so I always refer to my own notes, and then we'll stop and maybe talk once in a while, but, um, uh, th so this is from my commentary. I'm not just reading something somebody else typed, and uh, right now, what I did is I started with Romans, because I believe that the epistles are uh, 
important for doctrine. And so we started with Romans and we went all the way through the book of Revelation with, uh, this is one verse a day, so it's taken years and years to get through. But, uh, and then I backed up and we're going through Acts right now. And we're in Acts chapter 11. And so we'll be done with Acts, uh, one verse a day. It should be about another year and a half, maybe two years. And um, so it, it's a great, great book. And uh, then from there, we'll do the Gospels. The Old Testament, we're doing different. We're doing it in sermon style. But the New Testament is just from commentary and uh, uh, just analysis of the structure of the books and the Greek itself. But anyway, so, just so you know what's going on. And just a question, I've said that. When did you do uh, Colossians as mm. in the day-to-day -day with that? Was that how long ago? Was it that? would have been, let's see, Revelation took about two years. Mm -hmm. So back it up, uh, Hebrews took a couple of years, all the other small, probably six years ago maybe something like that I don't know it's been a while then mm -hmm. anyway it was uh, it's good to refresh yourself okay 212 this I, I can check that actually I, I think can too right yeah here, oh, right. oh okay yeah I, I I don't know off the top of my head but I'd say it's probably been about six years um, this verse here Colossians um, 212 actually is very close to Romans 6 4 let me take you back there <laughs> Boy, I don't know what. We were fine earlier, and uh, something's in my uh, throat is just really bothering me here, so I apologize. Romans 6, verse 4. It says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Okay, so uh, I just got done with listening to Romans a while ago. I'm in 1 Corinthians right now in the, the car, and uh, it just it's so good to be in the Word and just to hear it all day long when you're driving. And uh, uh, unfortunately, today, Hedico and I went driving around, and uh, uh, we, boy, we went all kinds of places, but uh, in her car, we don't have the Bible running. And I felt like I was almost being deprived, like I wasn't getting my daily nourishment. We took her car because it's way more comfortable for her. Driving around in an old pickup truck doesn't get it. But um, we did vote, and uh, because we are not a 501c3 uh, organization, I might as well tell you that uh, uh, you want to vote Republican, okay? You do not want to vote Democrat, and vote as often as you legally can. I'll say that, okay? Um, oh, and, and do it do not miss. This is a very important election. I think every election until the Lord comes is going to be important from this point on. So I would recommend everybody to make sure that if you can vote, that you do vote. Okay, it's very important. Um, there are babies being killed in hospitals all over America. That's only going to get worse, not better, unless we can stem that unholy tide, along with 10 million other issues that are very important. So there's my political plug for the day. Uh, yes. 2017. 2017. So what year is it now? 2020. Two, so two, five years. Yeah, five years. And uh, so, yeah, about five, five. Yeah, okay. We can get these two in a Mennonite's place, can't we? I, we probably could. We probably could. <laughs> okay, let's go. Um, so that was Romans 6.4, very similar to Colossians 2.12. Paul, ensuring that those in Colossae understand this critical point of doctrine, states it again while giving it more focus than that which he wrote in the epistle to Rome. He says, buried with him in baptism. There is an article in front of the word baptism. Now, it's not always necessary to include the article from the Greek. 
but uh, there are times when you probably should just so that people understand what is going on. Uh, therefore, it would read buried with him in the baptism because why that's important is because there are baptisms and there are baptisms. We have the baptism of the Mormons. We've got the baptism of the Jehovah's Witnesses. We've got the baptism of this and that. Uh, there is one baptism and that is into the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he is God. He's, he's not a Jehovah's Witness, folks. He is, he is the Lord God. All right, he is not a man that became a God, as the Mormons would say. He has always been God, and he put on garments of flesh at the incarnation. Okay, so we want to make sure that when we think of baptism, it is the baptism. There is one baptism, and that is into the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, it is. Uh, it reads either the baptism, or it could be inferred as your baptism. Okay. That would then put the uh, stress on the individual. You were buried with Christ in your baptism, okay? Which would be a part of the fulfilling of the picture that when we baptize somebody, we will say exactly that, or I will. You know, when I baptize somebody, I will always ask them two questions. And the first question is, are <clears throat> excuse me, are you willing to follow Jesus in believer's baptism? And that's obviously just so that they have made the acknowledgement and then, um, uh, I'm sorry, the first thing I will say is, have you received Jesus as your savior? And uh, you wait for an answer and they say yes. Well, you wanna make sure that they have. And uh, you already know this, but I take them through the formality anyway. And then the second one is, uh, are you willing to follow them in believer's baptism? And if they say yes to both, then I baptize them and bring them up. If they say yes to the first and not the second, then I baptize them and I just leave them under the water. But either way, uh, they're, I'm going to dunk them. And so um, that's my standard, uh, what I do. And I still have some bodies out there floating at oh, Turtle Beach. There was no bodies. <laughs> no, no bodies. Anyway, yes, Burke. Well, that's exactly it, and I was hoping that you would bring that up because I couldn't remember the verse, but that was the one I was citing, and Burke got it, so uh, uh, right out of the book of Ephesians. Um, but yes, that's what I do. And then when we uh, baptize somebody, uh, I always say the same thing because the Bible says uh, you were to be baptized into the name, singular, onoma in Greek, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's saying that they are one entity, even though they are three persons within the Godhead. Very clear what's going on there. But you are baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I say buried with uh, Christ in his death, put him under the water, and then raised to newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's all it is required for a baptism is just to get the basics out. Uh, it's a command of the Lord. He says to be baptized. Okay, he's given us two ordinances. So these are not burdensome. He's given us the ordinance of baptism, so it's either his, the baptism, meaning that of Christ, or your baptism, meaning your baptism into Christ. Either way, the second ordinance is obviously what we do every Sunday. It's the Lord's Supper, and he asks us to participate in that, and he says, as often as you meet, and the reason why is to remember his death until he comes again. Okay, we are remembering what Jesus Christ did for us, and we are honoring him through that. And as far as the baptism itself, it's not uh, anything that will bring you salvation. It's nothing that uh, gets you in any sense closer to God. It is simply obedience to what Jesus has said. You are fulfilling the picture of what he has done in your life. And God is, as we have seen from Genesis 1-1, 
all the way through, he is a God of pictures. He's a God of typology. He's a God that is instructing us through these type of things. And so if he tells us to do it, then we should be responsible and follow through with that. It has um, to be because we're so dense. Uh, absolutely. You know, it, talking about dense, it, it, I've heard this several times from people over the past couple of weeks, and it, <laughs> it's something that we... Uh, can't seem to get right. Um, uh, Tricky Mick was one of them when he was down here visiting, uh, helping with the uh, cleanup. And then somebody else said basically the same. Oh, uh, the people from um, Asheville, North Carolina, the um, Ukrainians, when they were here, they both said the same thing to me, is that the gospel is so simple. It's so simple. And yet you go into a church and we just fill it up with all kinds of things. We cover it over, we hide it, we bury it. And uh, it, it gets to the point where people don't even understand what the gospel is. But God has made it simple so that we don't err in it. And yet, that's exactly what we do by bearing it, by hiding it. Is 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And I was thinking about this yesterday. Who was I talking to about it? Um, Mike, the uh, web guy. I was talking to him about it on the phone. And uh, he was bringing it up, the simplicity of the gospel. And... Uh, one of the things that uh, the uh, especially people like Calvinists will say is uh, they, they like to use almost a pejorative to say that, well, that's just easy believism. And they take this, this term and they throw it out there and they say, um, uh, you know, that they, they use it like against you. Yeah, why should believing be hard though? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. I'm driving over the bridge yesterday and that's exactly what I was thinking. Why should it be hard? Because the Bible says, here, I'm going to read it to you. I do this every week. I know I do it, but I, I have to keep reminding people of this. This is what the Bible says, and you cannot go beyond Scripture without causing damage to people's lives. You, you cannot do it. And so in 1 Corinthians um, 15 is the gospel. This is it. This is, this is what Paul asks us to believe. And it's so simple, and yet people will throw out these terms as if it's a negative like a bad thing. It says there, and there's two things I want to read you. The first is from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it's verses 3 and 4. This is the gospel. This is it. There is no other gospel under heaven. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's it. That's the gospel. That is all that God has presented to us to be saved. And then he says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, you, you accept that premise. Coloss I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That's the gospel. <clears throat> and he says, uh, I, it would be good if I got into uh, the right book, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I'm looking in Colossians. No, well, you and did say Colossians. I'm okay, like, I didn't. That's you. because I'm sitting here talking and not paying attention. Okay, uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. You accept the gospel. You believe. And here's what it says. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which is that right there, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you believe. You call it easy believism. Call it, I don't care if you call it peanut butter. It doesn't matter what term you give it. You believe that, and he says that you are receiving the Holy Spirit. And that's backed up perfectly in Acts chapter 10 with the account of Cornelius that we just finished a couple days ago in the commentary. 
They're standing there listening to Peter. He gives them the gospel. He tells them that Christ died. He was in the grave. It's implied. It doesn't say it specifically, but it's implied because he rose the third day. And the Holy Spirit came down on them and they were saved. And that is it. That's all that God expects of us. There is nothing else that he says, you must do this because we need something that simple. Okay. Now, once again, and I've said this a million times and I'll say it uh, one more so that'd be a million one, um, is that yes, if you were to teach somebody in advance that Jesus is not God, like the Jehovah's Witnesses do, they will come to you and they'll, they'll present to you their Jesus, which is, according to Paul, another Jesus, and therefore it is a false gospel. That's Galatians 1, 6 through 8. Okay. Um, you present a false Jesus, it doesn't matter what they believe. They can believe everything that you say after that point, they will not be saved because they believed in a false Jesus. But if you are presenting the gospel that God came among us, he put on flesh, he lived a perfect life that you and I cannot live, he fulfilled the law of Moses, he said it is finished, and then he gave up his life in exchange for our sins. If you believe that, the Bible says that you were saved and then you received the Holy Spirit. And so it doesn't matter to me what term people love to throw out about things like that. That is what the Bible says. And there's nothing else that you can do. And as I say from time to time, if you add to that, then it's saying, thanks God, you tried your best, but I can do better. We cannot add to what Jesus Christ has done and come out undamaged. It is a very important thing that we must remember in our lives is that Christ has fulfilled all and now we need to put our trust in him. We need to believe that he has done that. So um, here's, here's something though that, that always <coughs> frustrates me when people say that is that okay, God has everything because he created everything. Is there anything he's lacking? God. Absolutely not. Right. He graciously gave all of us free will. So therefore, what is the one thing that's not guaranteed that he can have? Absolutely, our faith. Right. That's so it. So that's it right there. If you believe in me, then then by gosh. You and I are square because you gave me what I can't have. And that I goes, gave you free will. Absolutely. That goes right back to uh, Abraham in uh, Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And Paul builds on that in the book of Galatians very clearly, saying that he is the type of the believers today. And the law was inserted in order for us to have a tutor to lead us to Christ so that we would understand the magnitude of our sin before God. And so the main thing is, and then once again, you know, there's 10,000 little categories that we need to be careful about. And these categories all fall into place at one time or another, but we don't ever want to take the category of our work, of our uh, loving the Lord, of our, uh, uh, our, our deeds before him, before salvation. Right. Those come after salvation. Right. And if we make something before salvation, then we have damaged the gospel. Our responsibility is to then, after we are saved, pursue the Lord. And as I say, we don't want to, uh, uh, when we get sick, we don't want to say, okay, I need to get myself healthy before I go to the doctor. Okay, we run to the doctor. He gets us healthy, and then we follow whatever prescribed thing he has so that we stay healthy after that. And we want to make sure that we have those categories straight. But this is the baptism, or your baptism, depending on how you're going to read that article before baptism. <clears throat> Further, this is in the aorist tense, and so it makes this act of burial contemporary with the circumcision noted in the previous verse. So that'll take us back to verse 11, where it says, In him, 
in Jesus Christ, you were, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made by, made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So you were circum, in all of this, all of this, once again, think of the, let's go back just a little bit. Think of Joshua 1 through Joshua 8. And what we've gone through in the past uh, would be about 16, 17 weeks now. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, seen in the book of Joshua. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We're seeing that right now in chapter 8. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That was seen in Joshua chapter 5, the circumcision after going in there in the hill of foreskins. Remember that uh, from there. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, Joshua 3 and 4, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. Once again, Joshua 3 and 4, raised out of the Jordan, passing through Christ and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision, of, we'll get to that later because it's verse 13. But everything that Paul is speaking of right here was already anticipated by God and put in. You know, here's something, we were talking about this today. I was out with Sergio and Rhoda. They had some news to tell me. Very happy news. I'm very happy for them. Uh, but we uh, went out and had lunch. And while we were out there, we were talking. And you know the symbolism of uh, the topography of Israel. You've got Mount Hermon. It's the, the mountain which is covered with snow. The name Hermon basically means sacred. It's a picture of heaven. And then from there the waters descend down into the area of Dan. That's where the waters first gather together in the Jordan River. It's a picture of Jesus the judge coming to the earth. And then the Jordan meaning descender, ha yarden, the descender. I have descended from the Father. It's a picture of Christ coming from heaven to earth to judge the world. He's coming down. The Jordan goes through the Sea of Galilee very slowly. It passes through there, and that's the area of his life's ministry. And then the Jordan continues, and it zigzags all the way down. It's about a 60 mile 60 miles, but it actually comes out to like 212 miles or something. The difference between the actual length is way different than the the uh, geographic length because it zigzags. It's a picture of Christ going all the way through Israel. All right, and then he goes all the way down to the Dead Sea, and there he dies. But it's the Dead Sea is the Sea of Salt, and so it is incorruption. It's a picture of his incorruptible life. And then what happens to the Dead Sea? It doesn't continue on. It ascends again, and that, those waters carry right back up, and they descend yeah. back on Mount Hermon. Okay, so we have this cycle that God is showing us in the life of Christ. And then we have the death of Christ pictured right there as Israel goes through. The waters are cut off. All of this is being pictured. But my friend Bob sent me something this morning I'd never known. I always thought that Mount Hermon has two peaks. And it has three. And I had no idea about that until I he sent me this.
confirming what happened to you and I in our lives, but also will happen to Israel in the future someday. Okay, because so going so on. Dense. What's that? Because we're so dense. Because maybe, we're so maybe dense. Maybe we'll get that one. Maybe, maybe we'll get one. it. Absolutely. This is the great thing about God is that he just keeps showing us this typology all the way from Genesis 1-1 all the way through where we are right now. Joshua 8, it's been 10 years. I bet you that we have had more than 15 trillion pictures of Christ. Maybe, Maybe 15, many, 15 I trillion say, seven. I don't know. I just 15, can't believe. 15,000, I'll go with that. Yeah, no, every single thing about the Levitical system, every part of the animal that's cut off and placed on the altar pictures Christ in one form or another. Everything, everything about the construction of the tabernacle, it goes on and on and on. It's all about Christ and what he is going to do in redemptive history for the people. observe is only a outward display. It's a public display of the spiritual change that has already taken place in us the moment that we believe. Not 10 days later, not after we go and do some work. It is the moment that we accept the premise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are saved. And from there, we go out and we follow him in believer's baptism. This And how do we know that's true? Because you get these hyper-dispensationalists that say that you don't we that's only speaking of Israel it's not speaking of believers in Christ and obviously that's incorrect on several thousand levels maybe a million I don't know but um, the epistles uh, bring it up as well but the main thing to understand is that Matthew 28 verse 18 comes before or after the introduction of the new covenant anybody after okay are we in the new covenant or are we not we are. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read it every single week. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. Okay, so Jesus says right there, we know that it's not this baptism that Paul's writing about because he says, <clears throat> um, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go there, therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So they these people, these believers in Christ are to make disciples, okay? Is that something the Holy Spirit does or is that something that the believers do? Well, he's telling it to believers. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, obviously that's not speaking of the spiritual baptism because they've already been saved because you're now making them disciples. And believers do not baptize people into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes people into the Holy Spirit, and therefore it is saying that you are to have a outward sign of the change that has been effected in them. Okay, it's if you just look at things from the simple perspective that God has everything in its own category, its own box. He's logical, he's orderly, everything makes sense. But when you start crossing these things over, you're gonna have and as I said, we're going through Acts right now, and I say it at the end of many, many of the Acts commentaries, never use the book of Acts in a prescriptive, prescriptive manner. Because if you use the book of Acts in a prescriptive manner, you are going to have faulty theology. Not maybe, you will definitely have it. The book of Acts describes what happens in the early church. That's all it does. The epistles 
especially Paul's, but also Peter, James, all of the epistles give us doctrine. It prescribes to us what we are to do. Never use the book of Acts in a prescriptive manner and you will have proper theology. Okay, if you don't, <laughs> then you don't know what to do with people about baptism. You don't know what uh, is required for salvation because you're taking verses, for example, Acts 2.38, where Peter is speaking to who? Jews. Jews. Speaking to Jews. The Gentiles weren't even considered until Acts chapter 10. And he says, repent and be baptized. There's nothing to repent of for us. There's nothing to repent of. If you've never heard of Jesus, you don't have to change your mind about Jesus. Okay, the, the word repent only means one thing. It doesn't mean go and do works. It doesn't mean, it means change your mind. The Jews had just crucified Christ and they needed to change their mind about having done that. And so he says, repent, change your mind and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't do that to the people in Acts chapter 10 because they had never crucified Christ. They'd never heard of Jesus until he opened his mouth and says, let me tell you about Jesus. So there was nothing to repent of. There was just coming to Christ and then from there, they were to be discipled, as it says in Matthew 28. Paul never so, says repent. He uses the term repent, but when he does, you have to take it in the context oh, of what he is saying. Always, okay? And so we can do that. We can go through there. I can take you through every single instance where the word repent or change your mind is used by Paul, and it never says that in the context of salvation, right. required for salvation. Anyway, once again, repentance is the Greek word metanoia. It means nothing more than change your mind. That's all that word means. And unfortunately, it's been changed in our lexicon. And so when people hear the word repent, they think they've got to go make themselves right before Jesus will save them. And that's causing damage to the gospel. Jesus will make them right when they come to him and they are willing to follow him. So this is a spiritual, not a physical baptism, which is being spoken of. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the total immersion of the old man into Christ's death being completely covered by his righteousness and thus resulting in us being in Christ. And this is what the Bible says. We are in Christ. When God looks at you, when he looks at me, if we have called on Christ, he doesn't see you and me. He sees the perfection of his son. And thank God for that. Because if he saw me for who I am right now, I'd get kicked out the door, guaranteed. My heart is deeply wicked. We were talking about that at lunch today, okay? we understand that we will never measure up to Christ's perfection. And so thank God that Christ has perfected us because of God's love for us. The sealing of the Spirit is the baptism of the Spirit. It is a one-time act which moves us from Adam to Christ. We immediately go from the old man to the new man. That's taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and elsewhere. Water baptism then is only an outward sign of the inward change which takes place in us. This is another reason why sprinkling of infants is of no value at all. It makes no sense to sprinkle an infant because it doesn't do anything. It is what we would call show without substance. The purpose of baptism is to say, you have received Jesus. You are now making a display, a public display of what has happened to you in your life so that other people can see that can acknowledge it and also might want to say, I want that too. Why are they doing that? Please explain to me what this means. Okay, this has been a tradition since the very first days after the church started, or actually the first day that the church started, is that we are baptized into Christ, we acknowledge that, and we go forward from there. 
It's not, a, it's not a physical, but a spiritual baptism which is being spoken of. <clears throat> Paul continues with, in which you were also raised with him. We didn't just get baptized and go under the water and stay there. Okay, we were raised with him. Again, this is a spiritual raising. You can find that right in Ephesians uh, 2, 7, I believe. We'll go there really quickly. I think that's where we want to go. Ephesians 2, 7. It might not be. I'm sorry if it's not. Um, let's see here. Um, yes, there it is. Ephesians 2, I'll start in 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It was Ephesians 2, 6. I said 7. And then 7. In that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So Ephesians 2, 6. He raised us up in the heavenly places. We are raised with Christ. Poor Jody had to leave. She's They're having trouble at home with their... Uh, new home, they don't have internet, and so she's got to go pick up her computer and everything. So, uh, anyway, we'll hope that uh, she gets her, to her class without any trouble. She's a tutor in the evening, so she's got to go early today to get that squared away. Um, let's see here. Um, so, um, uh, sprinkling of children does nothing, it's show without substance. Okay, so we are raised with Christ. All right, it is a spiritual raising not our final conversion when we shall be made like him at the resurrection. It's our, what he says right there in Ephesians 2, 6, we are raised with Christ in the heavenly places. That's not what, he's not speaking about when we're glorified, he's speaking about right now. We are right now raised with Christ and we are sitting in the heavenly places, okay? In God's mind, in what God has purposed, it is done, okay? And this takes us to the word grace. I brought this up last week, is that if people could understand what the word grace means, we wouldn't have all of this uh, incorrect theology. Grace means grace. It doesn't mean anything else other than that. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's what God wants us to focus on. Our faith releases God's grace. It is something that cannot be earned. It cannot be merited. It is something that we simply receive. Thank God for Jesus Christ who made this possible. <clears throat> the raising is a moral conversion. In other words, when you were raised with Christ, it is a moral conversion. When we were circumcised, meaning made right in our heart, the, the spiritual circumcision, not a physical circumcision, we are made acceptable to God and we were buried where our sin and the old man was covered over. And we were also raised putting on the new man who is morally covered in Christ's righteousness and deemed acceptable to God. I remember a guy emailed me one time after uh, one of the, you know, we do the sermon and I always give a, a call at the end of the sermon. And he said, you know, I've heard you say this a couple times. I don't understand. Where are you getting that from? Is uh, He said that when we are, when we receive Christ, we receive his death and then we enter into the grave with him, which is what Paul is talking about. And I said, and our sins remain in the grave. And he came out of the grave, and we come out of the grave with him. All in God's mind, this is what's going on. This is what the Bible is telling us is being pictured. And our sin is gone forever. And that's the typology that we're to see. We're an old man. We're an Adam. We die with Christ. 
we go into the grave with Christ. The grave covers over our sin. Now, Christ was sinless when he was born. He is God. He is man. Sin did not transfer to him. The sign of circumcision is fulfilled in Christ. There is no sin transferring to the son because his father is God. Sin transfers from father to child. Okay, The woman is a receptacle for the human being, but she does not transfer the sin. The transfers from the father. Okay, that's the rite of circumcision. Christ is born sinless. He lived sinlessly. That's recorded in the Gospels. That's the purpose of the Gospels is to show us Christ's sinless life. And then from there, he died. It is finished. I have lived. I have fulfilled this law. I have prevailed over the law. And it says, we're, we're going to get to it in two more verses. Oh, this Christ, week. what's that? This week? Oh, we'll see. Christ died in fulfillment of the law. He goes into the grave. We go into the grave with him. And the sin remains in the grave. How do we know that's true? And I ask this every single Sunday in one form or another. How do we know that our sin remained in the grave? Is because Christ came out of the grave. First, he had no sin of his own, so he naturally would have come back to life. It says in uh, Acts chapter 2 that it was impossible that Christ could remain in the grave. Why? Because he had no sin of his own. He died and he had no sin. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, it was impossible that sin could, uh, that death could hold him. Okay? He had to come out of the grave. But he died for your sin and your sin and my sin. Right? And because he did, if our sin remained on Christ, then he wouldn't have come out of the grave. Right. He's not only perfect in himself, he has perfected us in himself. Our sin is buried. And that's the picture that we're seeing there. So Christ dies on the cross in fulfillment of the law. He enters the grave with our sin, not his sin. He comes out of the grave proving that he is God because he had no sin, but all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, so he must be God, and our sin is taken away forever. And then comes, as I, I've said, every single class probably for the past 30 or 40 years. It hasn't been that long. Anyway, um, is that 2 Corinthians 5.19, God is no longer imputing sin to us. So our sin has been taken away. We're not under law, therefore we are not being imputed sin, and therefore we cannot lose our salvation. Thank God for Jesus Christ. It is, it is so marvelous what he has done for us. And I just, I know I say this week after week, but I can't get beyond the beauty of what God has done for us. Because if it, as Jim likes to say, if it were up to you, you would lose your salvation. If you could, you would. If you could, you would. Paul continues with, I'll read that again, in which you were also raised with him. Again, this is a spiritual raising, not our final conversion, when we shall be made like him at the resurrection. This raising is a moral conversion. And then I talked about being made right in our heart. We were buried where our sin was of the old man was covered over, and we were raised putting on the new man. Okay, The entire process occurs at the moment that we receive Christ, when one receives Jesus Christ through faith. As Paul says, through faith in the working of God. That's Paul's words, through faith in the working of God. The faith is speaking of God's working in Christ on our behalf. Christ died for our sins, and God raised him to life. It is the constant theme of Paul where the focus is on the resurrection. He's always coming back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Faith in this is the heart of the gospel. 
it's no good to call on a dead savior. It doesn't make any difference in the world if somebody died for you. Happens in the wartime all the time. You hear about some Marine that was so good to jump on a uh, grenade and save all of his friends and die in the process. You hear about that. It doesn't do any good if he's a dead savior. He saved your life temporarily, but you're gonna die someday as well. It does no good to call on a dead savior. But Jesus Christ didn't just die for our sins. He rose for our justification. It is the constant theme of where Paul's focus is. Faith in this is the heart of the gospel. If the wages of sin is death, which it is, Paul, what's that, uh, Romans 3.23? The wages of sin is death, okay. Um, and if death could not hold Christ Jesus, then Christ obviously had no sin of his own. I just spoke about that. If this is so, then those who die with him have had their sins removed in his death and thus are deemed as sinless before God. Therefore, they too will be raised. Nothing can stop that. It is impossible for us to not be raised by God. It's impossible because we are in Christ. Christ was raised. God has promised that those who are in Christ will be raised. If you want to read about that and get excited about it, go to 1 Corinthians 15 and read that. It's down in verses, we'll say, 45 through 55, right in that area. Okay, and then go read 1 Thessalonians 4. Just to take you two minutes to read the chapter, and it tells you what's going to happen. We're going to be raised. God has made that promise, and it is guaranteed right here in his word. Romans 8.11. He's going to raise you as well. Thank you. Romans 8.11 as well. Nothing can thwart this from taking place. All of this happens to us spiritually. The moment that we trust in Christ, his gospel message. And therefore, the physical aspect of what occurs must logically follow. We, In God's mind, it has happened. It says right there in Ephesians uh, 2.6, we are sitting in the heavenly realms with God in Christ. He says it right now. That's what how God perceives it. And therefore, the physical must follow if God is God. And indeed, he is. Okay? So, all of this happens to us spiritually at the moment we trust in the gospel. The physical aspect of what occurs must logically follow. It is also another of countless verses which clearly show us the truth of eternal salvation. If we are deemed sinless and we are not being imputed sins to Corinthians 5.19, then we are saved once and forever. Now, we have somebody in the church that asked about what if somebody says, I don't want to be saved anymore, okay? And I've heard that argument several times. He just asked the question, okay? This is a couple weeks ago. And I've heard that several times. I've read it on commentaries on websites and, you know, well, that's overriding your free will. No, it's not. God has covenanted with you in Christ. He, you have made the decision for Christ. He has said, I will perform. That's what the sealing of the Holy Spirit is. Okay, there's two points to make about that. The first one is that if God knew that that would be the case and he sealed you anyway, then that means that God made a mistake and it's not the God of the Bible. Secondly, his guarantee, regardless of your supposed, you know, this is a hypothetical possibility somebody gave, uh, would mean that his guarantee is no good. Okay, so we've got that as well. But it is not reasonable and it is not logical for somebody to say, now, I'm not talking about somebody walking away from the Lord because I've had saved friends, people that I know personally that have walked away from the Lord. That's not what this is speaking about. 
Two-Peter One will address that issue. Or Hymenaeus and Alexander who have shipwrecked their faith, okay? Those people as well. These are people that have just walked away from the Lord for one reason or another. That is not talking about somebody saying, I reject my salvation. I know that God exists. I know that I am going to heaven and I don't want that anymore. That is what we would call an illogical proposition. That is something that nobody, and I don't care how crazy they are, and that would also show a defect in them if they were crazy and God would override that anyway, but nobody would be standing at the, the lake of fire and say, yes, I want to go there for all eternity. In other words, it's not a logical proposition. We can hypothetically think these things up, but it's not something that is logical, and it's also not something that is based on the nature of God who does not lie. So I understand people like to come up with these arguments to say, see, you don't have free will, and God is overriding your free will and all that. But as Paul says elsewhere, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay, so if we are deemed sinless, and we are not being imputed sins, then we are saved, and it is forever, okay? And that brings in the third thing, which I should have brought up, is that if God is no longer imputing us sin, because we are in Christ, and the, the term is onoma, or, uh, yeah, onoma, eh, eh, wrong term, that's a name, uh, what is it? Ah, uh, onoma, anyway, the term is without law, okay? Don't want to give the wrong term in the Greek, but uh, what it means is that we are no longer under law. Because if we were, as we have said, then we would lose our salvation. But because we are not under law, because we're in Christ, who is the fulfiller of the law, and we cannot be imputed sin, then even our decision to turn away from Christ, which has happened to my friends that I mentioned to you about, they're not being imputed that sin. They are no longer under law. They are in Christ. You see, everything is covered. And when God makes a contract with you, he will fulfill it. And how do we know this is true? I brought this up with the, the guy that was asking the question. He probably saw it on some website and just wanted to, to ask this question. But how do we know that's true? Israel. My, Israel. That was my answer to him. Israel has rejected the Lord. They have walked away from the Lord. They have completely apostatized. That's why they've been under punishment for 2,000 years. That's why they were under punishment after Babylon. They rejected Jesus Christ. I am the Lord your God, and I'm presenting myself to you, the people who I have covenanted with, and they rejected him. And for 2,000 years, they've been under punishment. They still have not come to him, and Daniel 9 says that they will come to him. This is coming. They're going to have a temple. They're going to restore the temple worship. They're going to find out that it's not going to work, and then they're going to call on Jesus, as Jesus himself said. He says, uh, what was it? Uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers its chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. What did he say to him after that? I say you. He's not speaking to the Gentiles. He's speaking to Israel. You shall not see me again until you say, Baruch haba Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He came in the name of the Lord. They rejected him. They went into punishment, and yet God has not rejected them. It's an it, it's a, an unsound proposition to say that somebody will be rejected by God because they walked away from Him. Because we have Scripture to show us that it is unsound. He guarantees that should be That's right there. That's exactly like, you know, it. We just have to think on when God makes a decree, it is an uh, eternal decree because God is the Creator of time, space, and matter. Everything He says is done. 
And when he says, I have covenanted with Hedeko Garrett, it means that it is forever. It will never be undone because that is the nature of God. We look at our dad and we say, oh, dad used to beat me. Or dad, you know, he took off with a woman and he left the family. Or we take all of our baggage in us and we ascribe that to the heavenly father. And that is a mistake that we cannot make and come out unscathed. He is perfect in his being. He will never change. He will never undo a decree that he has spoken. I have covenanted with you in the blood of my son. What more can we do? Yes, sir. Will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will perform it. This is the unfailing God that we serve. Wonderful stuff. And there's a, there's a footnote you should mention about the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat. Oh, yeah. That's wow. the whole point. There is a difference between our salvation and our spending our lives following Christ and our salvation and our not spending our life following Christ. And that has nothing to do with salvation. That has everything to do with 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11, and 2 Corinthians 5, right around verse 11. It says that we are going to stand before the Lord at the Bema Seat of Christ, and we will receive our rewards or our losses. And he says that those who didn't do anything for him, this is Charlie Garrett paraphrase, will have their works burned away but they will be saved as yet by fire. They will be saved. That's 1 Corinthians 5 as well, where he says, you know, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of Christ Jesus. Everything is about what God is doing. All he asks us to do is to believe the gospel, and then he has got the rest of it taken care of, despite our failings. Thank God for I Jesus. I get irritated when people <laughs> take that verse and say, well, may. That means no. They, I know it's like it's like okay, you're you're reading stuff into this. That's right. It's just like off the charts because yes. So his soul may be saved. Yeah, but may not, may or may not be saved. It's, it's not like, a conditional. It, yeah, that right. is not a conditional so statement what, of Paul. Three fifteen, right? What's that? Three fifteen. Three uh, nine through eleven. Okay. Let me how, take. How, if anyone's work is burned out, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yeah, that's by fire. Okay. That's it. That's it. Does it say that in your version? says no there's no main. Yeah, so oh well yes and that's what he's saying is that yeah, people just they'll, they'll they stick on to one translation right. and that's why you want to have a multiplicity of translations yeah, that's right. I have on the screen everybody online can see all the translations oh, oh really yeah it's right there so take them down to young's yeah uh young's all the way down we go and it says uh if Where is that when you need the it the work is burned up he shall suffer loss and himself shall be saved. Shall! There you go. That's Save. not May. The May. Okay. <laughs> anyway, there you go. I mean, it, 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 you have to take everything in the proper context and not get stuck in one translation because it may be this rather than the other as the King James Version notes in their, uh, pro, their um, preamble. preamble. Thank you. Yes. Every King James only argument that they have for their, their thing Every one of them is refuted in its own preface. Every single one of them. And that's why they don't print the preface of the King James Version anymore. It's like 11 pages long and it disputes every single argument that they have. But I will tell you this, I've said this before in case you've never heard this, is that selling Bibles is a hugely, hugely profitable proposition. And when you don't have to pay for the copyright to that Bible, if you can just go copy it, which the King James Version is known as public domain, 
and then you can print it for free. A Bible might cost a, a dollar to print. It's not really an expensive thing, but then you sell it for $35. It's all profit, 100% profit. So if you can convince people that this is the only translation that you should be using, and you can get a million people to believe that, there's $35 million in your pocket. It's a very, very profitable thing. And people are always buying new Bibles for their grandson and their granddaughter and for their friends. And, oh, I don't read that Bible. Buy this one. And so pretty soon you're talking about millions and millions of dollars because people aren't willing to check. It's a very sad proposition, but it is what it is. Okay, um, it is God who raised him from the dead. God looked upon the work of Christ, declared it acceptable, and therefore was and therefore Christ was raised. When we trust in Christ, God looks upon our faith and declares it as acceptable. His merits are imputed to us, and we are granted the circumcision, the removing of the old man, and the moral conversion to a new and acceptable being. Go read Joshua 3 and 4 from that perspective, and the entire passage will make complete sense. It's the most wonderful set of verses that I can remember in the past 20 or so chapters that we've gone through in the, the books of great. Moses. Uh, they're all great, every one of them. But just to see the faithfulness of God to national Israel, that this is going to come upon them someday, is unbelievable. And the funny thing is that we were not there for, how long ago did we do the book of Numbers chapter 13? It's probably been about three and a half or four years. From Numbers chapter 13, it was obvious from that chapter on that Joshua chapter 3 and 4 was pointing to the national salvation of Israel. Okay. Oh, you've got it right there. 2019. He's got the, 2019. So 2019, 20, 21. So three and a half years. What did I say? I don't okay. know. Okay. I wasn't, okay. I, I wasn't paying attention. So January 20. Okay. So there you go. It's been, it's been a while, but uh, it was so obvious. They turned away from the Lord and his salvation. He sent them into the wilderness, the past 2,000 years of exile. He's going to bring them into the covenant. He's going to bring this upon them because he's faithful. And then Joshua 4, they cross the Jordan. They're baptized into Christ. Actually, Joshua 3 and 4. I keep saying 4 because of the, the numbering system that's so beautiful in there. Okay, it must be remembered why Paul is saying these things that he's saying in this verse. There were those who claimed that something more was necessary to be perfected, even as a follower of Christ. Here's how Paul stated it in verse 2, 8, Colossians 2, verse 8. He said, Beware, lest anyone cheat you with through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God saying, I am going to do this because you are incapable of doing it. There's nothing you can do to add to what my son has done without causing damage to what my son has done. You're belittling it. And you're, in essence, you're saying, oh, I said it earlier. Thanks, God. I, I'll get this one. Okay. He tried. He did his best, but I will take care of it. That's what Paul is saying in verse 2.8. He's repeating it again here in a different way. Paul is showing that the gospel transcends the traditions of men and is not according to the basic principles of the world. What he offers is so far above those things that they are utterly useless. It would make no sense at all to fall back on Greek or Jewish practices which could not possibly have any bearing at all on what has occurred in the believer in Christ. 
Paul will perfectly and clearly explain this in the verses ahead. We're not going to get to 214 today, but that's, that is quite possibly uh, my third favorite verse in the Bible. I absolutely love it. We'll get 213, and then after that, I, we'll just start the week next week with 214. Life application. If you have received Christ, the law is dead to you. Why on earth would you go back and adhere to principles of a law which is obsolete and nullified through the work of Christ? You have died with him. You have been buried with him. And you have been raised to newness of life because of him. Now live for God in his new covenant. Put away the old. Uh, I will read you 2.14 before we read 2.13, just so you can get ready for next week. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us and which was contrary to us. What is he speaking about there? Mosaic law. The Mosaic law. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I've probably brought this up in more sermons than any other verse in the Bible. It's not my favorite verse, but I've probably brought it up more. Maybe Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. But this verse here tells us that Nobody walked up and did a Martin Luther at the cross of Jesus. Nobody took the, the law and nailed it onto his cross. Okay, He's saying that Christ, the embodiment of the law, go back and watch all of the Exodus sermons where the construction of the tabernacle was given. Everything pictures Jesus. The embodiment of the law was nailed to the cross. He died. And he says that the law died in Christ. The code is wiped out. The handwriting is gone. He says, he has made us alive together with him, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That's what Peter says in Acts chapter 15. Why would you put these people under a yoke that we ourselves couldn't bear? Okay? Having nailed it to the cross. And then he goes into, oh, we'll get it next week. I, I don't want, I'm just so excited about it. What God has done for us is so far beyond anything we can imagine. You know, you can read this a thousand times. You can read it every single day and not get it all in your head. It's just new every minute. Paul is showing that the gospel transcends the traditions of men. Oh, oh I've read that. Okay, life application. If you have received Jesus Christ, the law is dead to you. I read that. Um, uh, you have died with him. You have been buried with him. And you have been raised to newness of life because of him. Oh, I read that as well. Now live for God in the new covenant. Put away the old. And then I got excited and I went ahead. 2.13. Uh, Jim, what is your version? I'm putting it NIV. 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 Yeah, that's the Alexandrian text. This is the Byzantine, so that's why we read the two. Okay. Um, and just let you know, I will not be here next Thursday. So, okay. I'm reminding you, if your paper doesn't get there, which I'm sure it will, make sure you tell them that nine of the ten commandments were restated by Jesus after he rose. Yes, or Paul in, 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 in the it's, New Testament. It's said. It, right, it right. said, that's right. The the one that isn't anybody, which, don't say it, which, which command is not repeated as a requirement in any way, shape, or form? The Sabbath. Hebrews 4.3, we who believe have entered our rest. Pictured once again in Joshua chapter 5, I believe. Perfect. They've entered their rest. They have rolled, Gil Gilgal, they have rolled away. They are in the liberty of Christ. Oh, it's all pictured right there. Israel is going to receive someday what we receive when we come to Christ. It's it's so marvelous. It's so marvelous to see what God has put into the book of Joshua. Okay, it gets very complicated from chapter uh, 12 on. I got to tell you what, the past two weeks, every week sermon typing is hard, but the past two weeks have been so many names, 
so many locations. There's like seven billion in uh, Joshua chapter twelve. And you sure? Well, it might be six billion. Okay, I, I'm just I'm really close on that. Okay, it, it's just a very complicated passage. So anyway, um, thirteen. Thirteen. Go ahead. Okay, new paragraph. Okay, when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Okay, so this one's going to be a little bit different. And you being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, which they just, they they translate it, your it's sinful a, it's nature. A footnote. Right, oh, I know, but the, the word flesh, what they're doing is they're translating okay. it. Because a lot of people don't understand that the flesh is the carnal person. And so they've translated what this one literally translate, they've taken it and they've, I, I should say it's more Flower paraphrased, yes. He has made us alive together with him, yours says Christ, okay, so they've, once again, they've uh, gone in there and they've explained who him is, so you don't get it mixed up, okay, having forgiven you all trespasses. There's not one trespass that is left unforgiven by God in Christ, okay? That is all behind you. Every sin that you have ever committed to the moment that you were saved is behind you. You're no longer being imputed sin forward. Therefore, you cannot be accounted sin. Because if you could, then you would, okay? I guarantee you that since this class has started, I've had thoughts go through my mind that would exclude me from God's kingdom. I guarantee you that's true, all right? Not me. Uh, well, oh yeah, you're more perfect than me. Because um, I just lied. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's an infection in us. It's, it's there. And so here we have the forgiveness of sins, we have the non-imputation of sins, we have the Gilgal, the liberty, the rolling off of the burden in Christ. Thank God for what Jesus has done for us. 2.13. Paul now expands upon what he said. Yeah, we got 15 minutes. We'll get this done. Paul now expands upon what he said in the previous two verses. The words, and you, is speaking of those Gentiles at Colossae, and thus to any who receive and read his letter afterwards. Speaking to the Gentiles, he says that you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He's obviously speaking of Gentiles there because Jews are circumcised on the eighth day. If you're not, then you're expelled from the congregation, okay? We've got a Jewish person here that can confirm that to you if you want to check, okay? He will confirm that. He did last week. All right. He says that you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. This deadness is a spiritual state. Of course, those who read his words are physically alive, okay? This is the category mistake that R.C. Sproul made when he would speak about salvation, and he would speak about your inability to choose Christ. In other words, you do not have free will. And this is how he would argue. He'd use a verse like this, or he specifically took the one that says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He said, you can no more save yourself, or uh, I, I'm going to have to paraphrase it. I have it written, but I, I, I don't know where I have it, so I'll pull it out, and maybe I'll read it next week. But he says, you can no more uh, get yourself to call on Jesus than uh, a, a rock could do so. Now, that's a little bit of a, uh, I'm not quoting him perfectly, and I ask forgiveness for that. But anyway, he's made what's called a category mistake, because he is equating your spiritual state and then he transfers that to your physical state. We are not dead beings. We are live, rational 
cognitive thinking beings. Okay, maybe not some of the Democrats in Washington, D.C., but for the most part, we are human beings that can make choices. Nobody says that we are saving ourselves. I don't know anybody that would ever say that. But God sent Jesus Christ, and we see the good in him, and we say, I want that. If you don't believe that, go read John chapter 12, where he says, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. Okay, they stick with John 6:44, and they say, "See, you don't have any power to call on Jesus because only the Father calls you. If the Father doesn't draw you, then you can't come to me." Well, what was he referring to? He was referring to the words of chapter five and six, where he was speaking to Israel about their not accepting Scripture, which speaks of Jesus. Scripture is what leads us to understand who Jesus is. They rejected that, and therefore. The Father was not drawing them because the Father gave them the Word. If they're not going to believe the Word, then they're not going to believe the Father. That is the context of John 6.44. John 12 specifically says, After I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, because there will be a written testimony of what I have done. And if you see the good and you understand it for what it is and say, I am a heap of neuroses, I'm a heap of sin, I'm a heap of, of just vile conduct, and I want what he offers. That is what, you see the revealed light of God and you come to it. That is R.C. Sproul's category mistake. He takes the, phys, the spiritual and he applies it to the physical, okay? So, we'll go back here. The faith is speaking of God's working in Christ on our behalf. Christ died for our sins and God raised him to life. Oh, wait a minute, I'm in 212, I'm 213, sorry about that. This deadness is a spiritual state, spiritual. Of course, those who read his words are physically alive. This is what I was just talking about. But he is referring to a spiritual matter. This dead state comes from the power of sin, trespasses. That's it. Trespasses, in Paul's words there, means sin. As well as from their state of alienation from God because of their uncircumcised state. It's not speaking of the physical circumcision. It's speaking of the spiritual. In Christ, all died. That's what Paul teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. All are dead. I said in Christ. In Adam, all died. Adam sinned. We inherit Adam's sin, and we are dead from the moment of conception. That is found in uh, Psalm 51, verse 6. It's found in 2 Corinthians 7, 14, and elsewhere. Okay, Paul speaks about it in Romans as well. We are dead without Christ. All human beings are dead, and that's the spiritual deadness. But we're, we're physically alive people, and we can think, and we can rationally look at things to make our decisions. Free will. Okay, that original sin then is only magnified through continued trespass, which visibly demonstrate the uncircumcision of the flesh in the person. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, is it, Burke, anyway, where he speaks about not only do, do we have sin in ourselves, but we start to approve of sin, and we start to do things that are contrary to the nature of God in a morally perverse way, and we get further and further away from God, okay? Uh, I'm not going to read it right now so that we can finish this up, but that is what he's speaking about, okay? 20 on. 20 on, okay, Romans 1, 20 on, okay, sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> but through Christ, God has done something marvelous. Paul continues with, He has made us alive together with him. This is speaking of God the Father who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Remember, when we call on Christ, 
We are dying with Christ. That's the picture that he gives us in the gospel. Uh, Christ died for your sins. If you accept that premise, that means you accept the premise that you have sin. You are a sinner. And therefore, I am acknowledging that he died for my sin. That's what he's saying. He has made us alive together with him. It's speaking of God the Father who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The resurrection proved that Jesus was sinless. I know I said this earlier, but I didn't know I had it in my commentary. So, then it, always, it does, always works that way. It's okay. Your, I'd rather say it twice than working the same. There you go. And it also proved that the sin debt which was laid upon him has been removed. Remember I said this earlier. If our sin stuck to him, he never would have come out of the grave. But he came out of the grave. Therefore, our sin is gone. It's gone. Thank God for Jesus. And it also proved the sin debt which was laid upon him has been removed. He was delivered from it. He not only had no sin of his own, so he had to come back to life, but our sin was removed from him. God was willing to impute his righteousness to us while imputing our sin to him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. 1 Corinthians 5.21. That is such a great thing there. You said it, if his, Unreal. our sin remained on him, he couldn't have come out. Absolutely. Is, Absolutely. It, it's, it, it just makes your hair stand up. It's so wonderful. Oh, boy. Okay, in this, uh, where was I now? Yes, um, in this act, we have been spiritually quickened to life. As Christ fulfilled the law, then there's no law by which sin can be imputed to us. Take you back to 2 Corinthians 5.19. Our quickening is thus an eternal one. It's done. It's eternal. Spiritual life is restored once and for all time. This is realized in the words, having forgiven you all trespasses, the stain of original sin is removed. That's the picture of circumcision. Christ was born without sin. The line of sin is cut in Christ. That's why they gave the sign. Circumcision is a sign. It's not a thing in itself. And as I said, the Jews will look at that and they'll say, see, I'm circumcised. This is my righteousness. That's not what a sign does. A sign anticipates something else. The Hebrew word ot or sign points to something else. It points to the righteousness of Christ. He cut the sin nature. And then that is granted to us. Okay, as Christ fulfilled the law, there's no law. Yes, spiritual life is restored once and for all time. Having forgiven you all trespasses, I just read that, the stain of sin, original sin is removed, and the stain of all sins committed in life are likewise removed. Through Christ's death, we have died to sin. Through Christ's resurrection, we live to God in Christ. In Christ, not over by Christ, in Christ, clothed with his righteousness. As a point of theology, here it is, Calvinists, oh no. They will use this verse to deny free will in man. They say that we are dead. Here's what I was talking about a minute ago. I should read these in advance, but I never do. Um, uh, raise us to life. Therefore, we must first be regenerated in order to believe. This is what Calvinism teaches. We are born again, meaning we're regenerated, and then we believe, and then we're saved. To them, that's a two-step process. That's not what the Bible teaches. When that happens, we are then brought to life. This is both a category mistake and it's nonsense. First, we are spiritually got four more minutes. I gotta just read, I'm sorry, I won't give any, any uh, additional stuff here. First, we are spiritually dead. We are not physically dead. 
just because we are not morally good beings, and I would never say that anybody on this planet is a morally good being, my Acts commentary for the this morning, which will come out in 11 days, will tell you that very clearly. We are not morally good beings. It does not mean that we cannot see the good in God and desire it. We see the good in many things before coming to Christ, and we act upon that knowledge moving toward the good. There's a girl. See, that doesn't appeal to me. There's a girl that does. I move towards what I think is good. Okay, now, just because something, uh, what got me typing that commentary today was it says that Barnabas was a good man. What does that mean? And I explained that because Jesus said there is none good, okay? And then Paul repeats that in Romans. There's none good but one, okay? What does it mean when, and so I explained that in the commentary coming out in 11 or 12 days. Anyway, moving toward the good. We move toward the good. How much more when we realize the surpassing goodness of God will we then want to receive him if I can make a good choice about that dinner or about that wife or about this thing or that just simple things in life that I can see something that is in a gradation of good how much more can I see it in the the perfect goodness of God the perfection of all goodness secondly if we were reach boy I think I got oh no we'll be done uh, if we were regenerated in order to believe as Calvinists say uh, but it is belief that makes us alive, then we would still be dead until we believed. As we would still be dead until we believed, the regeneration would not mean anything. It is a convoluted and unnecessary stretch of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Please don't listen to convoluted theology. The Bible teaches free will in man. I talk about that in the doctrine sermons, the 10 doctrine sermons we did between the books of uh, numbers in Deuteronomy, okay? I talk about that very clearly, how you can know that that's correct from Scripture. The Bible teaches free will in man. You are encouraged to freely believe that what the Bible teaches is correct, okay? If not, then we wouldn't have free will to even decide whether the Bible is correct or not. Life application, and we're just on time. Take time today to thank God for what he has done in Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together in him. All credit, all honor, and all glory belongs to our God. Be sure to let him know how you feel. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for what he has done for us. We thank you for what you have done in Christ for us and how Jesus was willing to come and to pay the sin penalty that we all bear. Thank God for what you were willing to do to put the sin of the world upon the sinless Son of God so that we could have the righteousness that will allow us to stand in your presence for all eternity. How good you are to us. Why you would do this, I don't know. But by God, thank you that you have done it. Thank you for having given us life again because of Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me back this thing up and wow, the voice made it. I don't know how that happened, but it made it. With only one sip of water, too. I wow. know. Oh my goodness. Okay, let me back that up. Break, 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 break. What's that? It's the tacos.